welcome to the long-awaited episode 31 of From Paper to People, Ancestors Alive Genealogy's wide-ranging podcast for the broad-minded genealogist. I am your hostess with the mostest, Carolyn Neelachlan. Yes, this is a teaching episode, though not a deep cut, I must admit. The drugs are starting to kick in and I am feeling better. So we're going to extend prior discussions of gathering folklore to encompass the idea of getting a room full of people to contribute to a conversation that you record without any blood being drawn. Could be a lot of fun. Could be like herding cats. The quality of the experience is somewhat up to you. We'll talk about that in a little bit greater depth. First, I wanted to let you know, right now, my blog posts are purely podcast episodes with very short introductions to the subject matter. Over the next few weeks, I will be making the full text of each episode's script available to you as pages on the website, and they'll be copyrighted and registered so that if you try to make off with my intellectual property, I can legally cross the earth in search of you and lasso your butt. So there's that. Some episodes will have to be transcribed, so they won't all be up at once, but I hope that this service benefits you in the long run. Now, down to business. Some folks asked me this summer about gathering folklore at family holiday events, and they asked me if there were any special tricks or anything that they needed to know. But honestly, I thought I'd already covered it pretty well in episodes three and four. Upon reflection, though, I find that I do have a few notes to add. And if you're celebrating Thanksgiving with a group of friends or family, and you want to record stories, I think that Thanksgiving is a perfect time to do it. There are no presents to be opened and no holiday candy on which to gorge so that you're running around in circles and then falling into a sugar coma. So maybe the children in attendance will be screaming just a little bit less than at other holidays. Now, as an overview, you know that I like to tell you all the ways in which I've screwed things up as a means of teaching. I want to tell you about my first ever foray into folklore gathering, because I pretty much made every mistake that it was possible to make, and somehow I survived it, but I don't want you to make these mistakes. (laughs) I'd rather you survived more gracefully than I. I was 18 years old. I was taking Folklore 101 and Ethnomusicology 101 at Indiana University. It was my first intended major, and it was why I went to Indiana. There was a really good department, and they had coached me through everything that I needed to know for my midterm project. I was something like three weeks out of bed from having uh, mononucleosis. I caught mono at the very, very beginning of the first semester, and not even the fun way either. I was kind of not all that well, and I knew what I was doing intellectually, and that was about it. They had me make up my list of questions and choose my subject, and my subject was the legendary Galway Irish folk singer Dolores Kane. She and her band, Real Union, were coming through Bloomington, Indiana on a tour, and they were going to be playing at an Irish pub. And it was like the coolest thing that had ever happened to me because I had been listening addictively to Irish folk music for years and I knew who she was. 
And I was so blown away at the prospect of actually being able to meet her. For those of you who know Irish music, you know she was one of the founders of Dedanon. So it was just an incredible opportunity. So I went to the concert, and it was in this sort of long upstairs hall in this pub with wooden floors, kind of like a ballroom. And we sat there, and I sat in the front row, and I took notes, and I already had my questions, and they knew that I was going to approach them, I think. I'm not sure, but I think I had permission. And this is a long time ago, so I'm, I'm hauling this stuff up. And I went back, and she could not have been nicer if she had tried. And I walked in, I said hi, and I was completely starstruck. I mean, even just sitting here now, I'm kind of shaking, recalling this. <laughs> and I told her who I was, and I told her that I wanted to interview her, and I had my little tape recorder, you know, and she said, oh, you know, come on in, sit down. So I sat down next to her. And uh, she said, well, would you have to drink? And I was oh, my gosh, well, you know, I'm only 18. And they're not gonna let me drink because you can't drink until you're 21 in Indiana. She says, Ah, oh, sure, you're with us, you're with the band. And so I was like, Well, I don't know. And so she brought over the owner and the owner said, Well, you have a Coke. And I, I kind of looked at him with big eyes. And she said, I think there were that there were four band members. I'm not sure, but I think there were four band members because the, honestly, the whole night is blurry. And she said, we'll have five Guinnesses and um, four Jamesons or something like that. And he looked at her and he said, she can't drink. She's underage. And she just looked at him and said, it'll be fine. We'll have five Guinnesses and four Jamesons. And so he just sort of melted off and came back with the drinks. And that's how the night went. I think I had two... 90 minute cassettes. I know that I recorded the music because I recorded the music and my dad converted it to CDs later. I don't know how much was taken up with the interviews. And I honestly don't know how long I stayed there. But I do know that I was weakened from the mono. And I just kept drinking because they made me keep up with them. So I really broke cardinal rules. And the most important one is the one that I want to impress upon you here. First off, I thought that I was going to have control of the room, that I was going to ask questions and that they were going to follow me and answer questions like in a really straightforward manner. No, that's not how it works ever. They had just played a show. They were celebrating. They were having a good time. And, you know, they liked their drink. So they were drinking and they were drinking to adult capacity to adult practiced capacity. They were having a good time and they were not going to let anything stop them. I was there like along for the ride. So that was not a room that I could control. I had my questions and I could control what it said on the paper, but I did something that I really should not have done. I lost control of myself because I was smashed I lost my sense of myself being removed, you know, that kind of journalistic sense, and I got involved with them, and that was not quite smart. And because of that, I was, I don't know, not quite in control of the entire process, and that was definitely not what a folklorist should do. And that was something that I learned 
the hard way, you know. Um, I walked away with a good product, I think. Ultimately, I did get an A, but I was only a freshman. They were going to pretty much give me an A anyway. And um, I definitely had a great time. So there were definitely good, there were good aspects to this, but it was a very, very steep learning curve. So don't make the mistakes that I made. Definitely maintain control. That's what I want you to do. Maintain control of yourself and have a certain sense of what it is that you want to have going on. But if things do get a little out of control in the room, know that it could be that they're supposed to. And don't try to keep too tight a rein on it. Just don't let it completely spin out. We'll talk about that a little bit more though. Okay. So have you listened to episode four? It's called The Glory of the Story. If not, you should listen to episode three, Just the Facts, Ma'am, first, and then The Glory of the Story, before heading to a holiday celebration where you intend to record lore. Both of those are the two folklore episodes that I recorded at the very beginning of the run back in late January or early February. Episode three discusses the mechanics of planning and recording, equipment, time of day, preparing your informants and making them comfortable, things like that. And then episode four goes into collecting the kind of story that I think is better suited to holiday gatherings, subjective and potentially tall tales. But today we'll tailor that to focusing on those about the holidays themselves. You decide whether you're looking for facts or just chin wagging. But if you're planning to be with a group of people, I just say for stories and fun while telling them. You might get some usable leads out of this for future research, but at the holidays, I think it's more interesting to get recordings that you can commit to CD and the cloud and other forms of backup to keep for future generations to hear. The value of an ancestor or a friend reaching out from the past and telling a story to someone in the future can't be overstated. And if you're planning to be with friends, a good storytelling session has no less value. You can gain valuable experience as a folklorist working with friends, and the recording will be important to everyone present when they listen to it at some future time. I know not everyone can or wishes to spend holidays with others. For those who are planning to be solo, you can, if you choose, reach out to groups like family or friends via Skype or Zoom and record using their built-in audio-video recording capacities. Those both auto-save to MP3 files. I'd suggest looking into that right now if you're a newbie so you don't get caught out on the day. Sometimes they can throw you, you know, a little curve. One of the keys to a successful session is being overly prepared and overly controlling with the technology. There are a few ideas about preparation that I haven't discussed yet, though, and I want to put them in front of you right now, particularly because I'm addressing the idea of approaching a group of people. Interviewing one-on-one is draining. Taking on even three or four people can be downright exhausting. It can also be maddening. To do this successfully, you're going to have to be prepared within yourself as well as prepared in terms of suggestions, materials, and tech, and ready to back up your recording as soon as it's done. You need to visit the loo before you sit down with folks. That's obvious. 
but you also need to eat and drink, not caffeine, not sugar, but real food. And you need to prepare your mind and spirit so that you are calm, centered, and focused on the task at hand. No matter how much you love these folks, they just might stress you out. In fact, I'll bet you a cheeseburger they're gonna. You need to be at peace or this whole attempt at getting family or friends into a storytelling mode is going to go pear-shaped and cause the great Thanksgiving calamity of 2018. Pies will be thrown, the turkey will blow you all off, and hitchhike to the next town with cranberries in his luggage. My friend Nancy Candea at Yoga Impact 501c3 is truly an amazing practitioner and teacher. She's going to be on the podcast soon. She's assembling some breathing practices for all of us to use to de-stress when we're working at the library, the archives, or freaking out at the computer when Ancestry throws down the 197th 404 error of the day. You know what I mean, right? It's been doing that to you too. It's been making me nutsy. She's published a simple, beautiful video that I use, a pranayama breathing practice, and it kept me from getting too stressful in traffic even just today. You can find it on Facebook. Here's the address. Get your pencil ready. It's goo dot gl slash oq three z as in zebra three c as in cat. Let me give that to you again. Goo dot gl slash o q three z three c. I recommend daily use anyway, but especially in times of critical freakout or when you need to drop your heart rate so that you can remain calm and collected. This is it, man. This is such a great video. Then. Make sure that your informants are comfy. You may need to loosen them up with a little glass of something, but not too much, or it could get wild and it could kind of turn into a Dolores Kane and Real Union situation. Manage the room, but also manage your expectations. This is a balancing act. What you get is what you get. You can set the stage but you can't control things past a certain point. Understanding that is a huge part of the work. Remember what I said in episode three. Think about Ellen DeGeneres or Oprah. They are great interviewers because they ask a question and then sit back, creating space for their informants to fill. They know when to play and when to be quiet. Listening attentively is the most important thing you can do to benefit your recording. Most humans are naturally uncomfortable with silence in a conversational setting. If you ask a question and then go silent, someone else will feel obliged to fill that silence. And if you have a few people around you and you've just asked who in the family makes the best yams, the conversation will definitely get moving without you. This takes a certain amount of self-control, flexibility, and emotional maturity. So if you're used to being the life of the party, you have to take off that party hat and find a way to put your folklorist hat on. This is not about you, Becky. Also remember that things might start out slowly. People behave differently when they are being observed from how they behave when they're not. So expect things to creak a little at the beginning. Try variations on a question or throw out a possible answer 
one that you know someone will object to in order to start conversation and maybe even a little low-level disagreement. Sometimes a little provocation in order to get folks talking is not a bad thing. People frequently start out thinking that they don't know much, and then they warm up, remembering more fluently and with more opinion as they go. They may start the session uncertain about the whole process, maybe even doubting that it's going to work altogether, but they will end it in laughter because they got into a good conversation with the group if you're managing the room with not too many expectations. If your relatives or friends get on your nerves and whose don't, especially with a little drink or two taken, things might get a little confusing and you might have to control your own annoyance. Someone else might even try to take control of the narrative or the questioning. Know this going in. Think about each person who will be present and make a realistic assessment ahead of time. Who's likely to cause a bit of trouble? Who's going to be quiet and more difficult to get involved? Who's going to tell a good story and who might stray from the point? You're the ringmaster, so you'll need to have an empathetic attitude toward all of your participants and their various foibles and flaws. Think ahead and be sure to recognize the uniqueness of each participant. The questions you ask should be designed to involve each person in a way that draws out that person about his or her special recollections. As for the guts of the thing, episodes three and four will tell you what to do. But as a quick recap, ask open-ended questions, not questions that can be shut down with a yes or no. This is absolutely crucial. Be prepared with follow-up questions, even ones as simple as why. I'm telling you, of all the words in the English language, why, it's one of the best questions you can ever, ever ask someone in an interview. It opens doors and windows and hallways and entire new floors of the palace. It is magic. Be ready to take notes. You're looking for stories, remembrances, purely subjective data. You want fluid storytelling from your informant or your informants. And if they're names and facts in the stories, that's great. Just jot them down. Don't stop the flow unless you really need to reroute. Folks are going to build on one another's contributions. That's the idea here. Trust that good stories come from inspiration and your plan may not be the plan that needs to play out, but it just may end up being better than you'd hoped. If you get confused about the players in a particular narrative, ask quick clarifying questions like, where was that? Or how did you know them? The point of this kind of interview is to get as solid a narrative story or series of stories as you can. You can listen to the recording later on after you've backed it off to the cloud or to an alternative drive to nail down those names and dates. To the greatest degree possible, though, guide but don't police. Stay out of the way. Make it fun. This is a chance for you to include the family in genealogy without dragging them into the research that they don't care about. Oops, there I go, projecting my family onto yours. Because my family do not care at all about my work, but they love to tell stories about the people that they knew. If it's about someone within the last few generations, the stories will flow with the wine and beer. So I can actually get some information out of them 
or even some narratives that I can commit for permanent keeping in some sort of an audio library, and they can get some fun out of the situation. I call that a fair trade. I hope that you do plan to record some family or friend folklore soon, and if you do, I hope you will write to me and let me know how it goes. I'll read your messages in a future podcast so that everyone can enjoy the stories. You can do that using the contact form on my website. Also, just so you know, I'm dumping coffee or coffee or whatever the heck that it's called because honestly, it did me no good. It was just one other thing to keep track of. And instead, I'm instituting something new and festive at Patreon. If you join before December 15th, For $15 or more per month, I will send you a New Year's present to your front door through the mail. Honest to goodness, from paper to people, swag. And at all other levels, there will soon be swag incentives to join and support for a minimum of three months. Yep, swag. You heard it here first. Because the podcast's first anniversary is January 3rd, and you all rock my world. I want to thank you all for your listening support, but I also need your financial support. You know what I mean? I knew that you would. Enjoy the holiday week, Americans. And to the rest of you, I hope you feel festive wherever you are. We'll have a very Boston Thanksgiving from 1895 as our next bonus episode, and then on to some more lessons, some more interviews, and Hanukkah and Christmas, because Mama's medications are kicking in. Find all things FPPP at AncestorsAliveGenealogy.com, links to previous episodes, all my social media incarnations, blah, blah, blah. Until next time, do your research, don't be a Jeffrey, capture some stories while you can, and above all, expect surprises.